Once upon a time in Egypt, there was a woman called Khadra Muhammad Illami. Once upon a time in Egypt, there was a woman called Nazla Abu Layl. Once upon a time in Egypt, there was a woman called Aziza, whose last name is unknown. Once upon a time in Egypt, there was a woman called Banuta Gumaa. There was a woman called Zanuba Ali Ahmed, Selima Ibrahim, Nabawiya Ali, Fatma Muhammad Abdurabu, Zanuba Muhammad Musa, Fatma, unknown last name, Anisa Muhammad Radwan, Amina, unknown last name, Khadiga, unknown last name, Hanim, Unknown last name Fatma Unknown last name Hegaziya Unknown last name Fardus Fadl Abdullah Once upon a time in Egypt there was a gang of serial killers that killed all those 17 women The gang consisted of Raya and Skina two sisters their husbands Hasaballah and Abdul and their husband's friends, Arabi and Abdelaziz Yusuf. Remember the names of the women. They were never retold. Because the tale of Raya Oskina has been adapted into a lot of works of fiction. It was made into a movie, then a f***ing comedy play, then a another movie, then a TV series, and so on. But their victims are unknown to the public. And one of those victims is Raya's daughter, Badia. Badia has seen most of their crimes, and, and that's why I chose to make her the one that tells the story. It's really inhumane, what she saw. It's also more inhumane when you know that she was put in an orphanage when her parents were sentenced to death. And a couple of years later, a fire broke out in that orphanage and she died in that fire. Now, this might have been mercy, because I cannot imagine someone who would live their whole life with those memories. Someone who would live their whole lives being attached to parents who are serial killers. And yes... You should know by now that this is based on a true story. That Raya Oskina were true people that killed 17 women. That Hasaballah and Abdul Al smothered 17 women with wet handkerchiefs. Most of the story that I've written is based on the testimony given by Badia when she was questioned about the murders. After her mother was arrested, she spent the first two days with her in jail. During those two days, she was questioned by the police and the public prosecutor. At that time, she said she knew nothing about the crimes that happened. But then, the public prosecutor changed. Suleiman Beik Izzat. He was sent from Cairo to investigate this case and close it, 
And the first thing he did was that he took Badia from the influence of her mother and sent her to an orphanage. He also made sure that everyone in the orphanage was treating her as well as possible. This, in contrast with the way she was treated at home, was the trigger for her. She confessed to witnessing the murders. She said a lot of details that they couldn't figure out from the bodies or from the scene of the crime. Details like how the victims were dead because most bodies were already rotten. They were in the ground for a year, a year and a half. The duration where the gang was active. And Badia put them on the right direction. Her testimony gave Dr. Sidney Smith, the medical examiner, a lot of details that were missing. Like for example how the gang slipped stuff into the victim's drinks. And how they were smothered by covering their mouth and nose. Not strangled like you first thought. Badia was a key witness, if not the most important witness, in the whole of the investigation. Her testimony made Raya and Skina confess. The gang started their activity in 1919. It was directly after World War I, when there was a lot of economic despair, especially in colonized countries like Egypt. All of their resources were transferred to help the Allies' victory in World War I, and a lot of those resources were men. Men who worked behind the front lines, digging ditches and doing all of the labor work that didn't actually require them to fight because their loyalty wasn't really a solid one. But also in 1919, there was a popular uprising in Egypt. Egyptians demanded that the British forces would leave, that Egypt is given its own constitution, and that Egypt is given its independence. It was natural that when those crimes emerged to the public, there was a lot of conspiracy theories around them, around either that it was a distraction planted by the British military intelligence so that they would distract the Egyptian public from their rights, or to the point that suggesting that this gang was a patriotic one, that they killed women that were promiscuous and sleeping with British soldiers, or that they were actually killing British soldiers luring them into a dark alley and kidnapping them and killing them. All of these were not founded in any truth. And yes, I know that I've used those conspiracy theories in the story in the end, but I'm telling you now that it's not true. So, yeah, it's not true. Don't believe me. Also, don't believe anyone for that matter. Like, no one, ever. It's stupid. I would like to uh, quote Al-Ahram, the biggest newspaper in Egypt, in an article published on 25th of November, 1920. The quote was written by Fikri Abaza, 
as part of his article on the ongoing public case of Raya and Skina. Where are the police? he asked. Where is the sort of government that should fall on the necks of bloodthirsty criminals? Where is the vigilant eye of justice that should never wink? Where is the mighty hand of authority? Indeed, the government has been too intent upon training the hordes of its secret political police to concern itself with training forces necessary to safeguard our internal security or personal safety. It is time for us to ask it to address the dangers posed by that negligence. The recent murders are a great calamity, the horrors of which have blackened the forehead of the 20th century. And yes, this guy is like a drama queen. But regardless of that, he does have a really good point. The government had its sole focus on suppressing the opposition, on fighting against the demonstrations in the street, demanding a constitution, demanding independence. So it was natural that this environment would nurture a gang like Raya and Sikina. You would probably, I mean hopefully, happy to know that from the eight defendants in this case, Raya and Sikina, their husbands, Aurabi and Abdelreza Hassan, were accused of premeditated murder and they were sentenced to death. Also, the jeweler that used to buy the stolen jewelry, knowing that it was stolen from them, was sentenced to five years in prison. There was a huge public case in Egypt at the time, because this was the first ever case where women were sentenced to death. Now, this caused a lot of huge public uproar, because, oh, how do women do those things, because they are supposed to be blah 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 gender roles. So actually, in the case itself, the public prosecutor had to explicitly ask the court to sentence Raya Oskina to death. And how he did that is by saying that, oh, the only reason not to sentence women to death is that maybe the actual death penalty would be done in public. But now that we do it in prisons, then it's fine. Like, we can sentence women to death. Which, I guess, is a solid argument, given the alternative. So, yeah, they were executed in prison in Alexandria on the 21st of December 1921. Which is actually a pretty cool date to die on, like 2-1-1-2-2-1. Anyways... I'd like to thank my wife, Egbal, whose high-pitched voice was a great fit for a 14-year-old. She's not 14-year-old, by the way, if you're wondering. And Yahya Shazli, whose all-natural British accent always makes me feel 
like a piece of Thank you. See you next time in hopefully a more pleasant story.